Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. We've been talking about the idea of God's servant, the servant of God. And we went, we've, you know, kind of dug into Isaiah for the past few weeks. And when you get into Isaiah, you know, you kind of have to piece it all together. You kind of have to understand some of it is specifically related to Israel. And a lot of it is specifically related to the broader Israel, otherwise known as the people of God, people that have faith in Christ. I was you know, I was going back through Romans again this week, and, and he just makes it so clear the people of God are not based, it's not based, based on, based on ethnicity. There's those words, right? The people of God is not based on ethnicity. It's based on faith. And if you have faith in the Lord God through Christ, you are the people of Abraham. You are the true children of Abraham. And I don't mean replacement theology where God is done with the Israelites, the ethnic group. I think there's still a place for that, but I'm talking on a spiritual perspective. Right? And so we've been talking about the people of God. What God has wanted all along is a group of people who are kings and priests, who are a holy nation that He can bless so that they can bless the world and the nations of the earth come to that people group to learn the ways of God. I just don't see a whole lot of that happening right now. I, what I see is people staying away from the people of God because they don't want their ways because we lead with guilt and condemnation, we meaning the church at large. And it, it's got to change, you know. It's just not how Jesus represented God. Jesus didn't go around, you know, doling out guilt and condemnation and judgment. He was hard on the religious but those that needed him, he set them free. That, that, that's how I want to condition our minds and our hearts to go into 2022 is picking up that, that, that goal, that mission of if, I, if people are going to come to me to ask me how to follow God, then how am I, can I treat them or treat my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that makes the path open and clear that I'm a Jesus follower, and that I have something that they need, i.e. being Jesus. Amen? You know, and, and we don't know. That's where you just have to yield to God and let Him transform you and, and let Him use you. And that's how we wrapped up last week with just talking about being used by God. Amen? Um, so today, just to wrap up this series and kind of put a period on the end of 2022 or 2021, talking about the servant of God, God's servant, what God wanted, what he's been trying to do, how he sees his body, a group of people that are a blessing to all the nations of the earth. It's, I mean, I like to boil it down to, to a simple understanding, right? I mean, following God can be complex. The will of God can be complex, but, but his heart is pretty easy to understand, he doesn't want people stuck in sin and death, and he did something about it. Amen? So just, you know, we started out 2021 because we came out of 2020, one of the weirdest years that most of us have ever walked through, going back into 2021. Remember, we started just talking about the gospel, just anchoring back into the basic, simple gospel. What is the gospel? And so as we wind down 2021, I just want to touch that base again talking about this idea of God's servant that God, through so many prophets, prophesied about. And just look at what he did. Why did he come? Why did Jesus come? So when Jesus appeared on the scene, we see in Luke 4, 18 and 19. It is. Courtney, will you turn me down just a little bit? It feels like it's about to ring. You know, Jesus, so Jesus, and if you haven't been with us, go back a couple of weeks and watch that first message because I really expand on the Isaiah 61 prophecy about the Messiah, the coming Messiah. When Jesus 
comes onto the scene to step into his public ministry, and he gets baptized by John the Baptist. Spirit of the Lord descends upon him. He goes out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights to be tempted by the enemy and overcome him. Then he comes back into town, and when he comes back into town, he goes to the synagogue. He takes the scroll of Isaiah, and he reads, and he reads directly from Isaiah. He kind of mixes a little bit of 61 and 58 for a particular message, but when God in the flesh announces his ministry on the earth, what does he say? He doesn't say, I've come for judgment. I've come to show you how wrong you've been. I've come to show you now what you're really supposed to do. You think the law was hard, let me tell you. And he does do, he does go through, you know, some of the teachings of Jesus can be difficult to understand because what he's doing is he's taking the law and he's elevating it to 100% righteousness. In other words, not just action, but state of mind and state of heart as well. You know, so a lot of the teachings of Jesus, he's teaching it in such a way to reveal to you you can't do this. You're definitely going to need a righteousness that is by faith, not of the law. So, but the first thing, the first thing that the Lord, that God declares to the earth as, he rec as He's recognized as Messiah, as the servant of God, as God in the flesh, as God announcing to the earth, now is the time. The very first thing He says is, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel. What does gospel mean? Good news. My, my pastor always said, if it ain't good news, it ain't the gospel. Now, there is bad news, right, out there. There's plenty of bad news in the earth, but in regarding the gospel, the message that God wants spread in the earth, it's good news. It's good news. Doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect in this earth, but as far as what God wants to accomplish in your life, it's good news. It's nothing but good news. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He wants to proclaim good news to the poor. And when you go and you study you know, in detail the, uh, the original language, and you look up every single word, you find out this basically means he wants to proclaim good news to the poor. In other words, it's just not that complicated. It's not that complicated. What does that mean to you? Where are you poor? Right? Good news. Anywhere that you're poor, spirit, soul, body, Physical, spiritual, emotional, anywhere that you're feeling a sense of lack, there's good news. There's good news for you. Super simple. And then proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. Now, remember in Isaiah 61, and then we touched base again last week in Isaiah 60, 61, 62, you see all of these prophecies about what does God want? God wants to bless his people so they'll be a blessing to all the nations of the earth so that they will be known as God's priests and they will be known as people that God has blessed. And we're not just talking about financially. We're not just talking about how many cows on the hill you have. You know, I'm not just talking about physical blessing. I'm talking about spirit, soul, and body. Amen? Spirit, soul, and body. And when we go into, I'm already seeing things that God is wanting to do in at least the first part of 2022 for us to talk about in here, to kind of set our intention, to set the course of our direction, to set the, our heart's expectation going into this next year. I feel like he's wanting us to be deliberate about what we sow into ourselves because what you sow will reap a harvest. It's just what seeds do. And so I want to spend some time talking about and get intentional about the physical kinds of seeds that we sow. How do we spend our time? What do we eat? What do we, you know, what are we doing? What are we doing with our bodies? And, and what kind of fruit we're reaping because of the choices that we're making. Soulish. Where, where are we emotionally? You know, where are we letting our thoughts live and land? And what are we thinking about? And are we intentional about what we're thinking about? 
And then spiritually, you know, are we taking time to let that spiritual seed that's in us invest back and transform us? You know, I, I've been thinking about this one in particular. The spiritual aspect is approaching God to know God. Not approaching God to know things or approaching God to get things, but approaching Him to know Him, to experience Him. God's already told us His intention is to bless you. Just say, say God wants to bless me. You just can assume that because He said it over and over and over for generations, for millennia, multiple millennia. It's what He has said. It's what He wants to do. He wants to bless the entire earth. And he wants to do it through his people. God wants to bless you. It's what he wants to do. It's what he's trying to do in your life. And you don't have to figure out how to get him to. You don't have to figure out how to meditate and pray and settle into the law of attraction to arrange the molecules of the earth on a quantum field level to get it to respond to you and bring to you the things that you desire that is, it, that's just how it happens. You are attracting to you the desires of your heart, good or bad. It's how it happens. You don't have to try to make that happen. It's, it's just going to happen. So the way that you get all of creation to work, to funnel to you for blessing, is you know God. You just experience Him. And this is something that I feel like personally He's put on my heart to engage in, but we're, I want to talk about it as we, as we go into this new year also. Go to God, not to... Now, I'm not saying to eliminate these points, but you go to, go to the Word of God primarily to know God. Not to memorize the books of the Bible, not to necessarily memorize Scripture. Now, in your pursuit of knowing God, your Father, the person of God... If you are impressed, well, I feel like I need to memorize these three verses right here or this entire chapter or the order of the books of the Bible or the, the historical, you know, journey of Paul. Like if those things come out of that, that's, that's totally fine. But what I just feel like for me, what I feel like God is saying, and I think it's congregationally as well, we want to go to God to know God, which means oftentimes it's like, it's kind of like sun tanning, you know, or just sitting and absorbing the warmth, you know, when, the, when there's a nice warm day and you think, I just want to go sit and feel the sun. I, 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 I see us doing that going into 2022. Just go sit with him just to feel him, just to know that he's there. You're not trying to figure things out. You're not even praying to get answers. You're not even trying to learn scripture. I'm not saying don't do those things, but just sit with him. Amen. Because I, I, it's, it's kind of like gravity. You don't have to make gravity work. Gravity's just going to work. God just works. God is a personal, relational, emotional being that wants to engage with you. He just wants to be with you. And the, the interesting thing about being with God and exposing your heart to God is that His influence towards you, it comes with all of this nutritional stuff, Right? It's like sitting in front of the sun. It just you're just going to absorb nutrients. I want I just see that happening with us with the Lord to simplify. Amen. So back to the mission of Jesus. I want to talk today to just wind down on this idea of the great exchange. Now. Theologically, the idea of the great exchange, the great kenosis, has been this idea of uh, when it says of Jesus that he didn't consider it robbery to be made equal with God, but he emptied himself of his godhood to become human. You know, that, that, that point in Scripture is kind of referred to as the great exchange. But in my mind, it goes a little bit deeper, and I apply it even back to Isaiah 53, because in Isaiah 53, you see a lot of the points of what is being exchanged, right? So we, we, we've been taught the great exchange is God emptying himself to become human, to set humans free of sin and death. But in that process, there's a lot of detail and there's a lot of points. So some of these messages have just been kind of meditative. You know, I'm not really necessarily trying to teach you something as much as I am. I just want to, I want you to just... Put your heart toward Him and just let Him expand the capacity of your expectation. 
Like when you think about the idea that God wants to bless you to the degree that the nations of the earth will come to you to learn the ways of God, that's bigger than what we know how to do, isn't it? Like, can you figure out how to do that? I, I can't, but I know that that's how he wants to use us collectively. So if we just put ourselves into him and trust him, that's the fruit that he's going to bring about in our lives. And it may not be a foreign nation opens up to you specifically, but it's just talking about the people of the earth. Amen. So I want to start looking at this particular passage here. And I read this um, in our night of communion in talking about what Jesus wants to do. Jesus being the sacrifice for us, you know, you think, okay, well, why, why did there need to be bloodshed? Why did there need to be that type of exchange? And it's because of this, this sheds light on why Jesus went through what he went through. In Leviticus 17, 11, this is talking about the old covenant sac animal sacrifice through the temple where uh, the Jews would bring animals to the temple, they would be sacrificed for temporary atonement for the people, right? So we get the model of blood for the remission of sin. And it's this here, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. So when I read that, it's like there's a, there's a weight. In other words, there, there's a... There's a you know, for, for to, to, to use the word that I'm thinking, it's, there's, a, there's a glory on that. And, and I think, you know, we can get a little mystical and a little woo-woo because we don't, glory is just not part of our everyday language. You know what I mean? It's like sometimes when we hear these biblical words, we're like, ooh, we're going to get, we're going to get mystical today. Woo, we're going to talk about spiritual stuff and glory. You know, we change our tones and, and, and we think we can extrapolate all these. I, I don't know. We just get weird. But for me, the, the idea of glory is that when people experience the glory, the presence of God, it's not because God shows up more at certain times than he does other times. You, you do realize that, right? The presence of God is never here more at times and not here as much at other times. Yeah. Amen? Like, in other words, there's not going to be a time where God is here more. Like, Bethany's here, right? Is she ever here more than she is? Maybe, maybe after. Well, I'll use my, I shouldn't do that with a girl. I am more here now because of pecan pie. <laughs> anyway. But you understand what I'm saying, right? You're either here or you're not. It's the same way with God. He's here or he's not, and he's everywhere. The presence of God does not come and go. The presence of God is not, oh, boy, God really showed up today. The glory of God was really in the room today. Now, I think there is an aspect of us collectively experiencing more of who he is, but there's never more of him in the room than there is other times. He's always here in full because you're here and he's in you, in full, in complete. What he's trying to do is help us experience all of these things that Jesus went through to set us free. So when I read this idea to make atonement for your souls, we, we overlook, I think, a lot of what's in the atonement. We look at it spiritually. We look at it for salvation, you know. We look at it for are you saved or not? Do you have your ticket punched? Are you born again? Are you going to heaven? And if you're not sure you've made a mistake, then come on down to the altar and get saved again, get born again again. And there are certain denominations all around us that you get saved four or five times a year, maybe more, because you're just not quite sure. Because if you were saved, you wouldn't live that way. So if you're living that way, well, maybe you're not saved. Maybe you should come get saved again. It sounds silly, doesn't it? But that's how people believe. And I think it's because we haven't experienced the atonement in our souls, in your emotions, in, your, in the area of your thinking, in the area of where you feel and do and live life. There's a, there's a cleansing, there's an aspect of redeeming, the redeeming of your soul. For it's the blood that makes atonement for the soul. God wants you free. You know, when Jesus said, I came to set the captives free, 
A lot of people are captive in their souls. They're captive in their emotions. They're captive in their thought processes. They're captive in their expectations. They're captive in the way that they respond to what's happened to them in their lives. You know, we're captive to the, the emotional baggage that from the last job that we had or, or from our coworkers that we're working with and, I, and that turmoil and, and it, you come home and it's like you hate that it still bothers you, right? You hate that it still bothers you what that person said and it's like, I don't even want to think about it, but you end up thinking about it so much that you plan that person's funeral. <laughs> and you start thinking about, what can we do to get rid of them? Maybe I should leave. Not at, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You do. We live in these worlds. It's like, well, if I can get them in trouble here, then they get fired, or, or maybe I should leave, or, you know. And so you you start giving up your life because you don't have that settledness of peace in your own soul, which Jesus actually died to set you free from. Where are you captive? There's healing for that. There's atonement for that. And why the shedding of blood? Because the life is in the blood. You know, that, that, when I think about why Jesus had to shed his blood, it's not to appease an angry God. In fact, uh, that's how, that's, Abraham, when, when God called Abraham and he said, sacrifice your child, that made sense to them because there was a lot of child sacrifice happening back then. Abraham's like, oh, well, that's what... I, get, I guess that's what we do with this God too. I mean, I, I'm kind of taking a little creative license there. You know, God expected, or Abraham expected his son to live. But in other words, if for God to say to Abraham, take your child up and sacrifice him, he didn't say, well, that sounds kind of weird. That made sense to him because that was in their culture, right? But what God did was he changed it. So in other words, instead of you actually having to follow through with sacrificing your child... I will provide a sacrifice for you so that your child will live. And in fact, that child that I have delivered through the sacrifice that I provide will ultimately be something that I use to bless the entire nations of the earth. I'm not only redeeming you, I'm redeeming the way that sacrifice even happens. I'm redeeming the way that atonement happens. I'm removing it from you having to give up your children to I will provide the lamb so that he could get to the point where he himself would be the lamb. Amen? God changed it forever with Abraham. And so we, we see that now. It's not because a vengeful, angry God needed to be appeased with blood. It was because life needed to be exchanged. There was an aspect of the punishment of sin in the body of Christ, but that was... The body, you know, sin has to be punished in the body of the sinner and ultimately unto death. But the blood is for an exchange, the exchanging of life for a life. And what Jesus did is he exchanged his spiritual life for our carnal death-destined death life. And he gave us his spiritual eternal life that is on par with the quality of the life that God has. And he made us great and precious promises so that we would be a partaker of his divine nature. That, that's why the shedding of blood. Not because God was angry and needed to kill somebody. God did have wrath towards sin, so sin had to be punished. But it wasn't about killing for the appeasement of anger. Are you with me? It's a little bit... And there, there's a big debate even amongst the... And it's probably been a debate a long time. There's this idea of Christus Victor versus penal substitution. In other words, did God punish Jesus on our behalf? A lot of people don't believe that. A lot of people believe that Jesus just went up onto the cross, absorbed all the sin of the world into himself, and God wasn't angry, and God didn't punish sin in Jesus. There's kind of two camps there. And, and it's both. Jesus did absorb all the sin of the world into himself, and God was angry toward the sin of man. It's very clear. But because we can't pay the penalty on our own, it had to be punished in something that could absorb and sustain the wrath of God, which was God himself in the flesh. 
There's a lot of aspects that we don't really fully understand about it, but there was an exchange that happened. And it's not just for your spiritual salvation. It's, all, it's spirit, soul, and body. There is atonement for your soul. Amen? Amen? It's not just to get your ticket punched. It's for your soul also. How can you experience atonement, the washing and cleansing away of sin and death, out of your soul? Because we carry so many burdens. And, I, and, and you, you guys mostly know this, but there are people that are watching online or people that you're going to bring here that think that atonement is only for your spirit to get you to heaven and that the rest of this life is just going to be full of difficulty and trial and tribute. It's like, well, this world is, it's actually very Gnostic in its mindset. In other words, everything that's physical is evil. And so let's get out of this evil physical world and get to that heaven world, right? That, that's a Gnostic mindset that this place here is bad, evil, nothing good. Everything physical is bad and dirty and evil, and we need to get out of here because the only thing that's good is getting out of this dirty, evil, physical world and experiencing the bliss of heaven. Well, why would there be atonement for your soul if it were just the spiritual thing? Are you with me? And it's not just for your soul. It's for your body too. There's a physical aspect of atonement in what Jesus went through. In other words, healing for your physical body. Healing spiritually because he removed that root of the sin nature out of you, put, put his spirit in you, gave you a new heart. We see clearly that, God, that what God wants is atonement. Now, are you telling me that the blood of goats and bulls was atonement for your soul, but the blood of Christ isn't? There's another popular thought out there by people that understand the finished work that think that, that healing, you know, that by His stripes we are healed, that that's only for your, for your spirit and maybe your soul, but not your body. In other words, you can't expect to experience physical healing because of the blood of Christ. God heals, and He might heal you if He wants to, if He chooses to, but you can't expect it to be part of the atonement packages where it's, it is actually is a promise for you because of what Jesus went through. After all, look at all these people that have prayed and tried to get healed. You know, so, so what happens is, is people water down the understanding and expectation of the effects of atonement based on the condition of somebody's life rather than the Word of God. Does that make sense? It's like we look at the circumstances of our lives to determine God's will or what God will or won't do. But like that's the least effective way to determine the will of God is looking at the condition of the world. Atonement for your soul. I don't know, just, just think, of, just meditate on that this week, you know? Just think about that. What Jesus went through was not just for my spirit, not just to get me to heaven, but there's a soulish element and to the point where you can actually be happy in spite of what's happening, in spite of what's going on in the world. You can be happy. You don't have that dream job. You don't have that perfect spouse. You don't have a spouse. Your kids are crazy. You've made mistakes. You're, you don't speak to your other side of your family. Uh, whatever it is, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, those things are realities. I'm going to do the best I can and believe and try to make decisions and wade through that stuff. Man, I, I can actually be happy in spite of what this world has done to me and what I've experienced in this world. And in fact, it's my responsibility to live in such a way where I foster and cultivate the blessings of God to come into my life. I'm not trying to exercise faith to get God to bless me. God wants to bless you. It's just what He wants to do. And it's not for your sake. It's so that he can then use you to be a blessing. I've got so many anchors going all the way into the next year. But, but, I, but I want you to expect God to bless you because you see your life, you see your purpose in life is bigger than you yourself. 
In other words, you see what God is putting in your heart to do, not just through your lens of, okay, well, what am I supposed to do? How do I do this? How do I get this to work? It's, you're, a, you're, a, you're part of a bigger picture. Your, your life is not just your life to experience. It's part of something bigger that God wants to do through you to, to use collectively. And in fact, if your vision, if you, if you don't, if, if when you think about your vision, you don't say, man, I don't know how to do that. That's too big for me. If your vision is, I see it, I clearly, I know what to do, it's too small. Yes. But if it's to the point where you're like, man, whew, that, you're starting to get on the right track. Not just because it's big, but it's bigger than you. It's for, uh, it's for more than just you. <laughs> I can tell that I haven't sat down and worked out these ideas enough to actually preach it yet because I'm <laughs> stumbling over these words. But it, so it's in my heart right now, but over the next couple of weeks, I'll get down and make it make sense where it's like, oh, yeah, okay, I see. But maybe even saying it is bigger than me, so it's going to be... Okay, now let's just go into this and look at what Jesus did. You know, if there's atonement for our soul, yes, it's spirit, soul, and body. But as we land the plane of 2021, we, we wind down this message. I want this, the rest of our few minutes together, to just be a little bit of a meditative exercise of what did he do? What did Jesus do? Why did he come? You know, so why was Jesus born? of God being his father and a human woman being his mother. Most of us know it's because sin, you know, sin is in the earth, it's in our genes, it's in our it's in our makeup through our father Adam. And it's interesting because Chris, you picked a song today where you were singing about uh, Jesus as the second Adam. Now we know that idea within Christianity but I can't remember the last time we sang a worship song about there being a second Adam. But I just see God working, you know. So be encouraged, and I appreciate when the, you know, we don't, we don't take the time to sit together to plan out, ooh, let's make an impact and pick this song to make this point. It's like, let's just trust God. And I see it happen over and over and over as these songs get picked and as our worship, it's always happened. It's always happened. These songs get picked, and it just I just see God moving. And I, I want that for you, too. I want you to just naturally make decisions out of your heart and then realize, oh, that God is actually using me as part of a bigger picture here. There's a tapestry that he's weaving, and I'm just one thread within this, and my thread happens to be the song that I picked today. How many of you, I'm just curious, how many of you, when we sang that phrase, Jesus being the second Adam, that particular phrase stood out to you today? Yeah, it's interesting, right? And I think he was doing that for a purpose so that we realize, no, the reason that Jesus couldn't be born of Adam, he couldn't just been a human because he needed to be different. He needed a different lineage. Sin is in us through our father, Adam. We needed a different lineage to be able to have a sacrifice in the earth that was qualified that didn't have sin within it. It's not a great big revelation, but it is a nuance that's, that's interesting to understand, right? Why born of a virgin? Well, because he needed to have a genetic bloodline. He needed to have a nature that was not after every, like every other human on the planet, which is born of sin. He was born of a nature that could be without sin, like Adam was when he was first born before they introduced sin into the earth. So he was born without sin. Why is that important? So that he could be the perfect, spotless sacrifice, capable and qualified to take upon himself all of the sin of the world. Because we see in the model of the Levitical priesthood, that's what, that's what, that was the criteria of the sacrifice. It had to be spotless. It had to be perfect. It had to be you know, qualified in such a way that it could symbolically take the punishment for the nation of the sins of Israel. And he did that as a foreshadowing of what Jesus would really do. And that is a human that had not been tarnished with sin, 
And, and it, it's so interesting to me, like when I think about that, a human that was not touched with sin, tempted in all way like we are, yet without sin, became sin. Literally became the sin of the world. There's an exchange that happened. God put in, God, if you can follow me, it's almost as if the nature of Jesus changed on that cross from the spotless God-man to man full of sin, deserving of death. I mean, it's heavy when you think about what really happened there. And, and, and people get nervous about it because when you start touching on the nature of Jesus, you know, it's like you, you don't mess with God. And I understand that and I appreciate that because we should feel that way. But we must understand Jesus, he didn't just, he wasn't just still perfect up there and then God punishing him. He became our sin. He became like you so that you could become like him. It wasn't like he was just up there unjustifiably being punished. God did a certain, it was like a reverse circumcision. So in Colossians, we see that there's a circumcision performed on us without hands and he removes the body of flesh. In other words, that sin nature. It's as if he removed Christ's nature and put in all of humans' sin nature in him. Now, he didn't cease to be God. You know, I'm not trying to remove anything from Jesus, but we have to understand he became like us in every way on that cross so that you can experience the freeing aspect of what it means to be redeemed through Christ. You, you, you don't have the right to look at yourself and say, well, I'm just worthless. I'm just a sinner. I'm just, you know, no good. No, no, that's not true. Jesus became those things so that you could become like him. You owe it to God to believe the best about yourself. Did you hear me? You owe it to God to honor the work of Christ to believe the best about yourself because of what he went through for you. Don't you dare sit there and look at the negative things that you do or think or feel and let that frame up your opinion about yourself. Be honest about it. Own it. Be willing to let it go, right? I mean, you're not, you're not self-righteous, right? You're not where you are in Christ because of what you've done. It's not your faith. You've placed your faith in Him and then Him doing the work. Yes. But you owe it to the work of God to believe the best about yourself because that's what God did. He changed you. Amen? I'm telling you. That, that if you, if, and so you have, to, you have to look at your life as you're part of something that's bigger than you. Because if you're self-centered and, and you're, you're thinking about your life from that it's me perspective, then you think that, oh, are you kidding me? I owe it to God to believe the best about my... Well, you're small in your thinking. You don't understand that you're part of something bigger. You got to look at yourself and realize I was worth God becoming human and then becoming sin for. I, I, I can I have the gift of discerning of spirits, and I can feel the religious ones getting upset. With the on, it's the online crowd. I know you guys are. Right in here is all good. So Isaiah, incredible, incredible, you know, so it's, it's said that, uh, I think C.S. Lewis said that if you look at the New Testament, that Romans is the, the crown of the New Testament, and Romans 8 is the jewel in the crown of the New Testament. I feel the same way about Isaiah 53, about the old. It's like, you know, Isaiah is kind of the crown. It's, it's the book that, for me personally, that Christ is revealed so much through. And Isaiah 53 is kind of that crown, jewel in the crown. It's like the pinnacle of what it's all about. 
what he, was, what he came here to do. God's heart toward us. Us knowing God's heart toward us and us knowing what we have the legal right to believe for. Knowing the will of God. You know, to me, everything about God's heart toward humanity, what he went through for us and what we can have as a result of, and not just so that we can have it, but so that we then see ourselves as part of something bigger, I, I owe it to God to believe everything that he did for me. I owe it to God. I owe it to the work of Christ to get over myself and be willing to believe not just that he did these things for me, but that he wants me to experience everything he went through so that I'll bring glory to him. Me experiencing the promises that he's made to me is not about my selfish gain. It's about me being used as a vessel of God to be a blessing. Do you see that? You know, I, I, I don't know that I've said it in these ways as much or even seen it as clearly, but it's just something that's really on my heart lately. We're just, you're part of something bigger. You got to believe that about yourself. It's not about you. Say, it's not about me. I'm part of something bigger. I'm part of the kingdom. Amen? I think that's just where we're going to go in 2022. What does that look like? Kind of unpacking that idea. So, but you got to know what he went through. You have to personalize it. So, so here's your homework this week. Go back and just walk through Isaiah 53. We're going to do it today together. I think we did this even a few weeks ago, a couple months ago. I don't know. It, 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 I, I love this chapter. There's just so much in it. So the question gets asked, who has believed our report? And, and it's, this is, I mean, it's such an appropriate question at the beginning of something that's unbelievable unless you understand the heart of God. Like it's unbelievable. Like like, so you hear the criticism of people who try to analyze Christianity from a carnal perspective. Well, you're telling me that God was angry, so he punished himself as his son to set you free. Like they, they come up with all these weird things, and it's like, well, when you say it that way, it does kind of sound weird. But there's a spiritual element to it that you're missing. So your homework is this. Go walk through this. And if you, if you really want to get an A on the assignment of your homework, go to a website or break out your old school original language books. And there's a few words in here that I want you to look up. And if you would, and you people that are watching online too, and if you're in our Facebook group, I would like for you to do this. As you read through Isaiah 53 and you use an original language study tool, Hebrew in this case, uh, post in that Facebook group, this is what I got out of this particular word from this passage this week in my study. I'm going to do it a little bit here, but I, I kind of want us to do this together. So you can go to um, BibleHub.com, and it's a little tricky to use that particular tool, but if you, when you go to BibleHub.com and you go to Isaiah 53, up at the top, there's going to be an interlinear Bible you can choose. Uh, and so, and I think it, I think it's I-N-T-L, it, there's kind of an abbreviation up there, but you'll see when you go to it, you're on the chapter Isaiah 53, you look up at the top, you'll see different translations. The interlinear is one of the translations. When it brings up the interlinear, what you'll see is the Strong's number, the Hebrew word, the, the English phrase, and a few other things in there. Click on the Strong's number for that word or phrase, and then just read. Read what's there. So it's a couple of steps. You can also do this in, in blueletterbible.org. If you go to blueletterbible.org, go to Isaiah 53. There's a little box up at the top that says Strong's Numbers. And so if you check that box, it will add the Strong's Numbers right in the, the words together. So in other words, it'll say who, number, has, number, believed, number. And you click on that number, and it'll show you uh, the Hebrew. And then there's another little tab that you can click that expands to more lengthy lexicon. But just look up what the words mean, and you get a broader picture. We're not even talking about tenses and all that kind of stuff, but it, 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 you, you bring out more understanding. Because a lot of, you know, when words get translated from one language to another, a lot of times we don't really know the full meaning of what that word is. We know what the English understanding is or what that translator thought it meant. 
But a lot of times it's narrow and you don't get a bigger picture. You know, so try that. Blue, blueletterbible.org is probably the easier one. And I'll, I'll give you, for example, as we go through this. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's an interesting study to look up the arm of the Lord, what that means. Now, we of course know that this is a prophecy about the Messiah, about Jesus. And when Jesus stands up in the synagogue and reads Isaiah 61, and he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your ears, and he's talking about himself, he's claiming all of this as well. I personally think it's one of the reasons why he was so stressed in the Garden of Gethsemane, even to the point of sweating blood. You know, he had that... Like, if you look at that from a scientific perspective, why would blood be coming out of his pores the night that he, the night that he would yield himself to be arrested? It's because he was, there was such stress that he was going through that he literally sweated blood coming out of his body. Why was he so stressed? Because he'd spent so much time in the scriptures. He knew this was talking about him. He knew what he was about to go through. He knew he was about to give himself up. And he knew that he was going to be abandoned by God on that cross. He knew that he was going to go into the grave having been made the sin of the world and face that enemy, in that, to face the enemy of death and overcome death. He knew all of this was coming. And, and can you imagine knowing that's coming but yet still remaining the course? And what did he do in the midst of all that? Knowing full well that what he was going to go through here, what did he say? He looked to God and he said... If there's any other way to do this, let's do that because I'm struggling here. He, doubt, it was, he doubted not unto sin, but he was struggling. Can I carry, can I go through this? This is really about to happen. We are to the point now that I've read about my entire life. I'm about to become the sacrificial lamb for the sin of the world. He knew it was coming. But for the joy set before him, he endured that cross. And what is that joy? Yeah, it's you. You got to know. You got to know it. So when you read through this, you're not just trying to memorize what happened. You're personalizing that he did it for you. And you're not just looking at it saying, well, is healing actually real? Can I? You, you, just, you just know that that's part of the atonement. And you experiencing the promise of healing, it's not even just for you. It's for God to be glorified. There's just the bigger picture of why God wants you to experience atonement. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, he's just a regular dude. You know, it wasn't like he was walking around glowing all the time. He is despised. So this, and this is kind of from a Hebrew mindset, looking at, understanding on the other side of how they should have seen it. So he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Look up those words this week, sorrows and grief. Sorrows is soulish and physical pain, and grief is sickness or disease. Not just emotional difficulty or grieving the loss of something or just you know, being depressed. Although there is atonement for that as well, to be set free from that, set the captives free. It's actual physical healing. Physical healing is part of the atoning work of Christ. You have the right to believe for physical healing. Jesus paid for it on the cross. So when you're believing for healing, it's not about trying to get enough faith. You're placing your faith in the idea no, Jesus went through this. If Jesus paid for it on the cross, it's mine and I can believe for it. Now that opens up a whole nother conversation and I understand that. And that's why a lot of people that are critical of the belief of healing say, well, prove it. If it's guaranteed, then why don't you have it? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's, by, it's by believing to experiencing. Believe that you have, Mark eleven twenty four. 24, believe that you have received and it will be yours. It's paradoxical because it's spiritual. It's a spiritual promise that you have that you believe unto fruition. Believe that you have received, and it will be yours. 
There's so much in that. You're not trying to believe to receive. You're not trying to give to receive. Believe that you have received. In other words, sit with him and believe he did all this already on your behalf. And then understand seed, all right? So as, as we hid, as it were, our faces from him, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our grief. So, so in other words, it talks of, it introduces the idea of griefs and sorrows or sicknesses, physical pain, emotional pain, disease, illness. Surely he has borne, in other words, carried upon him or become our illnesses, our diseases, and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him. So in other words, we didn't recognize that he was doing it for us. We esteemed him as being stricken and smitten by God. In other words, judged by God. This is the blasphemous Jesus that claimed to be the Son of God. He's dying up on that cross. Look at his fate now. He deserves to be punished by God because of his blasphemous ways. That's what they were thinking. On the other side, then they realized, looking back, no, he was, he was actually bearing our sicknesses and diseases. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. And so then we see here in Matthew 8, <coughs> 16 and 17, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he took on our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. See how it, it, it in the Greek, it becomes sicknesses. So, Isaiah 53, 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The fulfillment of that in Matthew 8, 17 is, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses after he healed someone of a physical disease. Scripture references Isaiah 53 of him bearing our sorrows and griefs, points to Jesus physically healing people and says this is the fulfillment because he bore our sorrows and carried our griefs and our sicknesses. Are you with me? Healing is part of the atoning work of Christ. Now, that might offend you, that might be challenging for you to believe. That might open up a bunch of questions for you, but you can't get around it. To me, that's good news. To me, that puts the equation in order of, yes, I see these promises from God. Why aren't I experiencing them? Well, I can know it's not because God's withholding it from me. Jesus already paid for it. It's already bought and paid for it's available because Jesus paid for it. It's in the atoning work. He even lived his life in such a way that he was doing things because of what he knew that he was going to go through. Like, you realize that? Like, the authority that he walked in to heal was because of what he was going to do. I mean, it's, it's interesting. All right, let's keep going. And we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I mean, that's Gospel 101. Laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was, and, and here's another interesting study. And, and if you go to BibleHub.com and you pull up the entire chapter and then you click on the link for the one particular verse... Over on the right, it shows you uh, the hyperlinks or the cross-references. of, And what it'll do is it'll show you New Testament fulfillments of Old Testament prophecies or scriptures. Um, so 53.7, you know, and we all know that when he was arrested, he didn't open his mouth, right? He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? He was cut off from the land of the living. Man, that's one of my most... To me, that's one of the most interesting facets of what he did on the cross and in the grave. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Another interesting study is to look at 
the mathematical impossibility of so many prophecies that Jesus fulfilled that were out of his control, in other words, where he was born and where he was buried, that point back to things that were prophesied about the Messiah. It is statistically, mathematically impossible that Jesus did everything that he did and experienced and he not be the Messiah. I can't remember who said it, but it's like he was either a lunatic or he is who he said he was. Who said that, Sam? C.S. Lewis said that. I thought so. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Look up that word bruise. He has put him to grief. So he has put him to sickness, disease. Uh, When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. God looked on Jesus and saw him suffering and looked beyond that. I'm sure his heart broke for that, but he looked beyond that because he knew that that was freedom for you. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. Say, I'm justified. For he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus was punished for your sin. You don't ever, ever, ever have to be worried or afraid that God is going to judge or punish you because you've sinned or made a mistake. Why? It's paid for. Now, should you continue in sin? God forbid. If you continue in sin, you're going to reap what you sow, but it's not God going to judge you for it. It's scandalous, but it's true. Is that not freeing? You don't have to be afraid that God's going to send you to hell because you make a mistake. Now, does that make you want to run out and sin? No. It makes you want to preserve and protect what he did for you. Amen? Oh. For he, he, he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he, he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his own soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, many, and made intercession for the transgressors. It's so popular within Christianity to say I am a sinner saved by grace. You're not. You are not a sinner. Now you might commit acts of sin, but that does not define what kind of being you are. You are the righteousness of God in Christ bought and paid for with the blood of Jesus, qualified for spiritual salvation, soulish salvation, and physical salvation. Jesus bought and paid for, went through everything necessary for you to be set free from the judgment and wrath of God towards sin, for you to be set free from the sorrows of this world, and for you to be set free from the death that's even working in our bodies. Man, it's, 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 it's hard to believe, isn't it? But it's so clear what he went through, what, what he qualified us to be able to experience. And I get it. We have believed, and it didn't happen. But does that invalidate the work of Christ? To believe for healing, to pray for healing for yourself or for someone else, and then think that they didn't get healed or you didn't get healed because somehow God didn't want them healed in that moment is to go against everything that Jesus went through on that cross. If he he went through it on the cross, you have the legal right to believe for it now. There are some things that are part of the promises of God that there may be a timing factor But if it's expressly addressed in the actual atoning work of the cross, you have the legal right to believe for it now. And there is no timing element of it because it was already paid for. That's challenging to me because I've seen some things that didn't come to pass. And so it sends you down this path of trying to understand and pray and work it out and deal with all that stuff and the doubt that you come up with. But, But this is the anchor. We must believe this over any feeling that we have, over any thought that we have, 
over any fear that we might have and over any questions that we might have. We must be willing to believe the Word of God and the finished work of Jesus in spite of anything else. It is the primary source of truth for us. In spite of anything else that you experience or questions that you might have. And you just got to decide that. And you just got to decide that it's true. And you got to decide that that is the focus of your belief. And you are going to fight everything else to believe that because it's true. In spite of what you're experiencing in this temporary reality. And that's the gospel. So don't, don't hear that and judge yourself as less than. Don't hear that and judge yourself and think, man, I got a lot of work to do. It might be true. You might have a lot of work to do to get your heart to believe the truth about who God is. But, don't, don't, but, but you still got to look at yourself as, no, God has made me into something that is incredible, that actually brings glory to Him throughout all of the ages. Amen? And, and let it go. And let it go. Let go of your junk and believe the truth of the gospel. Amen.